Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And look, we know what week it is. It is NFL Draft Week. Plenty, plenty to discuss in the world of the NFL for for the Gators. Multiple Gators uh, will be having their name called, hopefully on Thursday night, but definitely all throughout the draft, Thursday through Saturday uh, this week for the 2021 NFL Draft. And joining me for this episode will be Zach Goodall and Demetrius Harvey from SI All Gators. These these guys also cover the NFL for uh, SI, so we'll get the best of both worlds uh, for, from these guys to preview the 2021 NFL Draft. And uh, welcome back, guys. Thanks Glad for having me back. There, there we go. Interrupting each other as always. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could, I could have done that better. I could have, uh, I could have went single to you guys instead of welcome guys. But yeah, yeah. Here we go. Zach uh, <laughs> joining us here. Uh, Zach, you will have a busy week. You were on the with our friend Steady Miguel too this week. So uh, you'll be all around Gator Nation talking NFL draft. Yeah, man. This is my, uh, this is my favorite time of the year, except for doing all the work that comes with it, right? Um, <laughs> I always say it's like it for when it comes to college uh, covering Florida, like this is one of the best recruiting tools that Florida can have. Uh, as I was saying in our studio before we got this thing started, it's hard to keep track considering 16 guys from the 2020 roster, are technically NFL draft prospects this year. That's, that's wild to me. And I can't wait to see, like you were saying, maybe nine, 10 guys getting called uh, when this thing's all said and done. Yeah, Demetrius, man, uh, you, yeah, you and I were talking uh, beforehand, and it is, uh, as you said, this time of year, it, when you cover it from a Florida angle and an NFL angle, you got plenty of storylines. Right, you have plenty of storylines, and it gets kind of tiresome, though. At the end of the day, you know, everybody's sort of talking about the same thing over and over again, but it is fun, you know, because you have so many of these different types of prospects, and especially the talent that Florida is showing, it's actually a little bit more exciting this year compared to last year um, to talk about the Florida Gators draft prospects, and then you have the Jaguars that I cover, who obviously it's just, it's a lot of work, but it is rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah, so plenty uh, to to discuss here. Up to ten Gators, I think uh, we, we we talked here before. Uh, ten Gators could have their name called uh, when it's all said and done through the twenty twenty one NFL draft. So we'll get into uh, maybe all those guys <laughs> before we sign off here uh, on uh, on this episode. But uh, before we uh, get started, uh, Gators Breakdown Plus. You heard the uh, preview uh, before the uh, episode here. Join it. For as little as three dollars a month, and uh, if you're joining us live here on YouTube, join me at night. If you join, and part of the uh, benefits are a Discord Discord server, so we'll have a live watch party for the uh, the uh, spring all access that Florida's going to do on the SEC Network at nine o'clock. So if you're watching live here, we got about an hour and a half before that gets kicked off on the SEC Network. So join, go join Gators Break, Gators Breakdown Plus if you haven't done so. Yet. So, all right, let's get into this uh, NFL draft preview here. 
here we go. We'll start at the top. No surprise, Kyle Pitts. And guys, I mean, I think the question now is just how high will he go? We know it's anywhere from probably four to six is the likely window for one Kyle Pitts. And I mean, it, it's crazy to think about. You know, we we say four to six, and look, it's because of quarterbacks. That, that's why he's going to quote unquote fall to four, if you want to say that. <laughs> and which is which kind of sounds ridiculous to say he's going to fall to four. But look, I mean, this is the. I mean, I don't think um, going too far here. This is the best prospect the Florida Gators have ever had. And Dante Fowler may have went three. Gerard Warren may have went three. But that's just because that's the way those drafts worked out. Kyle Pitts is the best overall prospect the University of Florida has ever had. He may not go as high as some other getters went in the NFL draft, but it's really just because of the quarterback love that's going to be at the top of this NFL draft. Well, right. Like if you if you take how people weigh quarterbacks, right? Like Trevor Lawrence is viewed as a once in a decade quarterback, but you know people that aren't blindly watching him. I think we lost Zach for a second. <laughs> oh, I guess we lost Zach. I can sort of carry on with that. I mean, if if you're thinking about Kyle Pitts and in terms of uh, just a tight end prospect, you would normally think, you know, obviously tight end shouldn't be necessarily going top 10, top 15. I know that you had TJ Hawkinson a, a couple of years ago, but this is different. You know, he's a he's a different beast. I think that everybody's already described him as a unicorn, including his tight ends coach, Tim Brewster. So you have to look at it in terms of overall talent. So a guy that is someone who's special, he can be a, basically a wide receiver. Some, some people were even saying that he is the best receiver prospect in this draft class, above a Jamar Chase, above a, a, a Waddle, above a Devontae Smith, just all of these guys who are premier pass catchers, and Kyle Pitts is right up there with them. So it's just interesting to see how high this guy can go. I think that four is definitely his uh, probably his ceiling, but only because of the quarterbacks. Like you said, I think that if – a team was picking number two overall. They couldn't move for whatever reason. I could completely see him going to, in in that number two slot, which would be uh, completely crazy when you think about it for a tight end. Yeah, Zach, go ahead and hop back in, man. Yeah, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, yeah. I think the last thing we heard was uh, you started with Trevor Lawrence up there at the top. Yeah, so, like, you look at Trevor Lawrence, you certainly look at, you know, Zach Wilson, who I don't think is the second-best quarterback in the class, but that's another topic. Um, the Justin Fields of the class and like you put them in a vacuum and you compare them with Kyle Trask or no, I'm sorry, Kyle Pitts and, um, and his strengths and weaknesses. And all of a sudden, like there's a very, very serious argument that Kyle Pitts is the best prospect in this class head to head with a once in a decade quarterback. And that's absurd. I mean, that's especially absurd to think about like Demetrius said, at tight end, you might hear it once in a while of a receiver who's good enough to go number one, but you certainly never hear about it at tight end. And, and that's wild. Like in 10 years from now, Trevor Lawrence might be winning Super Bowls in Jacksonville and, and on his way to a Hall of Fame career. And like you can very reasonably say that Kyle Pitts has a competition with him for best prospect in this class. That's just that's wild. And that's a testament to what Dan Mullen and, uh, and Tim Brewster Larry Scott were able to get out of him. Yeah, I mean, you're coming from – I think you saw the potential as he was a recruit. Right? A recruit. And I remember having um, uh, Brett Ciancia on – He's uh, he does uh, pick six previews. And I had him on the podcast, and he's from up in that area. He's like, look, I'm telling you. This guy's the real deal. He's going to be He's going to be uh, what you guys want him to be. I still don't think we could envision what we saw from Kyle Trask in 2020 to, to be what we ended up getting from him and, and the weapon that he was. Uh, but, man, he, he brought it week in and week out when he was on the field and just a matchup nightmare. And, I, and I, you know, look, whether you love him or hate him, Mel Kuyper raves about Kyle Pitts, calling him one of the best prospects he's ever scouted. Uh, so, you know, love him or hate him, there's still a lot of uh, respect coming from uh, one Mel Kuyper there. And, look, I was looking at uh, NFL.com and, look, kind of some of their um, – top strengths and weaknesses of some of these players here. And I really love this one, guys. It's a challenging matchup who might require specialty defenders. 
I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to, you know, although we're, we're got to create some kind of position on defense that can guard Kyle Pitts, even if even if it's possible. But when you have NFL scouts saying it's going to be a, a specialty defender, I mean, what does that even mean? We know he's too big for corners. We know he's too fast for safeties. Forget about linebackers. So, I mean, right. it's just uh, what it, what does the specialty defender look like if you're, if you're going to stop Kyle Pitts if he's who we think he can be? Yeah, I did. It, for, with covering Florida, my time where I started doing that, I did about a year away from the NFL. So maybe I'm behind on a couple of guys that could be capable. But Demetrius, you'll know more than me. Like, mm. can you think of five players in the NFL that reasonably could take Kyle Pitts one on one? Like yeah. Derwin James, Jalen Ramsey are two that come to mind. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. even Jalen being a corner, like he's so long and physical and athletic, it's like. People want Isaiah Simmons to be that player if he yeah. ever develops into that, uh, that jack-of-all-trades type of linebacker safety type of thing. But, like, these guys don't grow on trees. There's not going to be more than a handful of players that could win a couple of reps one-on-one against Kyle Pitts, much less shut him down. I don't think that's ever really going to happen without mm-hmm. more than one player at a time. But you're not going to find many guys that can even take his fair share of one-on-one reps against Pitts, if that makes sense, which is just, it's another reason as to what makes him such an absurdly good prospect. No, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. And, and like you said, I'm, I'm not sure I can think of five off the top of my head. If I went through all the rosters, I could probably name you a few guys who are at least Supreme players and premier cornerbacks or safeties in the NFL who would be able to at least match up with Kyle Pitts. I understand, you know, obviously he's an incredible talent, but you know, there, there's going to be at least a couple times when he loses his battle and that's okay. And that's not going to be an indictment on him. That's just how the NFL goes. It's, it's a different league. Uh, like you said, an Isaiah Simmons type of player, not saying that he's a guy that's going to be able to cover him right away because he's certainly not. But when you have those type of athletes out there at linebacker, at safety, who can run into four fours, uh, you see these new age players coming into the NFL and you can see how they could match up with a guy like Kyle Pitts or a guy like Kittle out of uh, San Francisco. So, you know, the, the NFL is slowly adapting, but there's a reason why you see Kelsey and, and Kittle dominating all the time. They haven't figured it out. So, you now you have another guy in Kyle Pitts coming in who's essentially in that mold, in my opinion. I think that he has the capability to be uh, just as good, if not better, than both of those players. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the NFL continues to do. But uh, for now, I think bracketing and you know getting creative on defense is the only shot you got. Guys, before we move on from from Pitts, of course, the one knock, especially rival troll fans, <laughs> like like to throw out there. Oh, he can't block. He can't block. Um, can he get better? Of course. I mean, he's not the perfect. He's you know he's not a ten out of ten. If you want to go every little attribute of Kyle Pitts. He's not going to rank a 10 out of 10 on every little attribute. But let's not sit here and act like he's gone off for it blocking. I mean, he, he, he puts in the effort. Uh, that, that's probably step one that NFL teams will love. And, yeah, he can grow uh, into that. But I've also said if it gets to the point to where that is an issue, he's still going to be a very valuable NFL player. Kind of got to go back to Demetrius' points earlier a lot of people still a lot of people still view him as the best receiver in the draft, no matter if he's a raw receiver or a tight end. So, if the blocking doesn't get better, if he can't in, line up on in line uh, as a tight end, he's still going to bring a whole lot of a uh, as an NFL prospect. Absolutely, he's he's going to bring everything pretty much. I mean, he's a guy that that you want to see on the field in any position. He can play outside, inside. Uh, I do agree with you. You know, his his blocking has been probably the only thing that people have been able to knock on him. And I think that the reason why they do that is because, you know, he's so good at everything else that you kind of have to look at something. You have to be like, I think it's sort of human nature to find a weakness in everything. So if you're going to look at something, I guess his blocking is one of the negatives. But even then, like you said, it wasn't that bad last year at all. If anything, it was pretty good. I think there was at -hmm. least a a few clips out there where you can see him just road grading people. So I think it'll be interesting to see what what the GMs actually think of him as a complete package. But like you said, he can just pretty much do anything. Yeah, that's the thing is like, you know, I understand he likes the tight end label. Uh, He said it in his pro day that he's planning on playing tight end, but moving around the offense. It was a creative way of saying that teams like him to do some receiver stuff. Right. But that's the thing is like, Zach, he he wanted that Mackie, man. He wanted the Mackie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He did want the Mackie. But he's like, he's 6'6". 
He's got the longest wingspan in history among tight ends. He runs 4.44. I don't care if he's the worst blocker in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I still think that that's what he offers in offense beyond blocking is top 10 pick worthy 10 times out of 10. And, And yeah, Demetrius, there are clips of him out there blocking pretty well he's 20 years old he's Mm -hmm. again wingspan extremely long and he can definitely add more to it if that's what his team would like to do with that being said he can absolutely still grow as a blocker he doesn't Mm -hmm. need to put on 15 pounds and become a true inline tight end that'd be a waste of his skill set but it would absolutely not hurt to throw on five pounds spend a preseason with him just strictly focusing on blocking and seeing by like year three He's as well-rounded as he can be as a receiver, and he's still adding as a blocker. Like That's totally reasonable to expect that at his age and what he has to offer, he can get better. Well, I, I, I will say they should not turn him into Mercedes Lewis. That's the only thing that, I, that they have to make sure they do in the NFL is to not make him a Mercedes Lewis. But you're, you're exactly right, Zach. All right, guys, ultimately, I think uh, what we probably not past six to the Dolphins there as long as no crazy trades happen there uh, up in the uh, top ten of the NFL draft. I mean, I think just something crazy would have to happen like that. Teams would have to start trading up and going quarterback crazy or something like that. But just the, the love we hear of Kyle Pitts, there's just there's really no way he falls out of uh, Atlanta, Miami with both of them there. If they stay there, uh, willing to get those type of playmakers for their teams. I can't, I can't imagine it. And like, he's gotten really no talk to Cincinnati. It seems like it's four and six, but if for some reason yeah. he's there at four, I'm taking him over Chase and probably not Sewell. I guess if I'm the Bengals, they need that offensive line help. But if I'm taking a skill player, like I'm definitely taking him over Chase. Uh, I've seen mocks even today where he's like slipping down to nine, 10. Yeah. Get out of I here. I can't see that. <laughs> it's not happening. It's just not happening. Jerry well, Jones, no matter what he's trying to influence, he's not falling to 10, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't. At see that, that point, happening. you're telling me, you know, there's there will be eight, nine teams that, you know, at, somebody eventually is going to have to draft based on best player available and not need. And it's going to happen before then. So Kyle Pitts is going to get selected before then. Easily. Exactly. I mean, and, and the thing is, even if he does somehow some way slip a little bit beyond six, then there are teams that are going to be trying to trade up for him. He's not going to get past. I, I can't imagine him getting past around seven. Like it just it just wouldn't make sense to me at that point. Once he gets past the Bengals, everybody's going to be calling to trade up for him. Uh, people will probably already be calling to trade up for him if he gets past number four. So uh, it, it just wouldn't make sense to me. All right, guys, let's move on to. uh the player who perhaps probably had the biggest jump for the Gator from 2019 to 2020. If you would have asked anybody, Kadarius Tony would have been talked about as a first round pick going into the 2021 NFL draft. He probably would have been laughed at. So uh, <laughs> he makes a huge jump from 2019 to 2020, improves so, so much as a route runner, uh, dependability on the field, making big plays, um, catching balls down the field, still taking those handoffs, those reverses. Becoming you know a, a versatile player, but still showing so much more as a wide receiver than many expected from 2019 to 2020. Uh, of course, he you know, had had a bit of an injury bug in 2019, came back strong from that in, in 2020 as well. But perhaps you know nobody with such a big jump uh, for, for for Kadarius Tony. Nobody predicted uh, that, and here he is being mocked. You know. Uh, now, lately, uh, a couple out there in the top 20 of the NFL draft. So big surprise there uh, for one Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I guess because you mentioned it, I was over on Stadium and Gale a little bit ago. Today is the day that I air my dirty laundry. Uh, count me in. I was not one of the people that thought Kadarius Tony would make this meteoric jump that he has. Demetrius can verify this. Like last <laughs> offseason – he had kind of done that hinting at the orange bowl, right? Like yeah. that even though he was injured, he had the tape to declare if you wanted to. And I thought, you know what, if you're going to declare, man, declare as a running back and like find a way to get five touches a game out of the backfield. Cause mm-hmm. that's, that's your future at this point. He hadn't shown me anything as a receiver beyond catching screen passes and stuff. And then he goes and does this. And then as again, Demetrius can verify, like I didn't think he was going to run a 4.38 in his pro day whatsoever. <laughs> I never thought that he had that type of long speed. I, I didn't see it on tape. I saw him just 
constantly being as elusive, like the jaw-dropping, elusive, breaking tackles, not so much the long speed. So he comes out and he runs a 4-3-8 and suddenly, like, he's got more of a ceiling than I think anyone could even imagine at this point, Like, it, it, which is crazy because it feels like it's never ending. It's just never going to stop getting higher and higher, right? <laughs> like, he's running a 4-3-8, and we're talking about he only developed as an underneath route runner last year and, like, maybe intermediate. You can develop his long routes here. You can turn him into a deep threat over his first year or two in the NFL with that type of speed, with that type of explosion that he showed throughout Pro Day. The sky's the limit for him. And it, I don't know like how long you can say that about someone, but it seems like the sky is going to continue to be the limit for Kadarius Tony for some time with just all the freakish stuff that he can do on his own. Yeah, and and the the thing is, uh, Zach, you did say, you know, before I started covering the Gators, you were like, yeah, this guy, Kadarius Tony, he's probably more of a gadget player. Uh, he's probably a running back sort of in the NFL. He probably wouldn't have been drafted last year if he came out. And I took a look at him, and I was like, yeah, he's probably right. The guy just wasn't doing much because he was injured, and plus the way that they used him, it didn't look like he could really run any routes at all. Um, this year, he improved greatly. Uh, he superseded all of my expectations to a point where I was looking at Zach, like, are you sure you saw the right thing? Maybe we both <laughs> were missing something here, but you know, I think that it's just a credit to his hard work and development. Obviously he still has a lot of room to grow. Um, people will say, you know, obviously he has improved on his route running, which he has, but if you take a little bit deeper dive of, of a look at him, you can see the improvements that he still does need to have to make. Like he has to be able to run deeper routes. He has to be able to, make more precise intermediate routes. The underneath stuff the stuff is great, but he still has a lot of room to grow. But otherwise, I mean, this guy is definitely uh, the sky's a limit. Like Zach said, you know, he, he he's a guy who can run a blazing four, three, eight, 40 yard dash. Uh, the, the only time that I thought that I saw that sort of speed, I think it was last year in the orange bowl where he just outran uh, Miami's uh, defense, but other than that, you didn't really see too many times where he was just b burning defenses. So you were kind of confused on what sort of speed he was going to bring because he was such a wiggly player horizontal. But I think he can be a vertical threat for any team. And I think that starting out in the slot and being developed by a great wide receiver coach in the NFL could do him justice. Yeah, and that's it. Is like it's not necessarily there on tape, right? But 4.38 40-yard dash is 90th percentile among receivers. His 10-yard split was... 1.54 that's 66th 20 yard is 86 percentile his three cone was above average at in the 65th percentile his jumps were in the 89th and 98th like he came up above average or at the top for his position in like all of the important tests so if there's anything that we don't see on tape there's reason to believe an nfl coach is still going to find a way to get something out of him like mm -hmm. it's it's an amazing trajectory. It's like Dogecoin over the past couple of weeks. But like it's meteoric rise when it got up to 47 cents. Like that's Kadarius Tony. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, you know, I think if you go to somewhere in the NFL where he's, where he's on a team that gets into the red zone a lot, he's going to be that guy or a guy who gets third and four and you need that first down. He's the, he's the guy they're going to be looking for up until he gets that, you know, deep, deeper route running uh, un, un, underneath his wing. Cause I think uh, he has room to get there. I think the, the thing to remember about that is he was a quarterback in high school. He didn't start okay. playing receiver. He didn't start lining up out there until he, you know, was under Jim McElwain in 2017. And, you know, it's still kind of just sprinkled here and there, as he said, battled some injuries in 2019, but still kind of sprinkled here and there. As you guys mentioned, the gadget player, the screen player, maybe taking a wildcat or a handoff every now and then, but then, you know, now getting that year under Billy Gonzalez where Florida didn't really have much of a choice. I mean, you had Freddie Swain, Tyree Cleveland, Van Jefferson, all those guys leaving. Yep. Florida needed a receiver to step up. And now you, you found a guy, you were able, the, the availability was there with all those guys leaving. They needed somebody to step up. And I think that's more of a credit to him. You know, maybe he was, maybe he was, maybe he was overshadowed a bit by those other guys. They were more polished. They were older. They had been playing wide receiver throughout high school and college. He finally gets that uh, year where, all right, now it's my time. I've had another year, albeit a pan pandemic year, but uh, a year under Billy Gonzalez to where, you know, the reputation of Gonzalez, and we're looking at the receivers like I drafted a year ago. It's kind of you, you kind of can see why maybe looking back at it, 
maybe not the production he ultimately got, but definitely a step ahead of what we what we're used to seeing Kadarius Tony, and he shattered that. Yeah, I think that that makes it even more impressive. You mentioned the pandemic year. Who would have expected this last off season, or I guess last January, entering his senior year alone, like with the idea that he was going to have a normal spring camp and a normal off season, like no one in the world was thinking KT was going to pop off and lead UF in receiving yards like he did. And it's, it's really, it is the sky's the limit. Like, I don't even know if there's another way to put it. Anything, any doubt that I have or have had about KT, it just gets erased uh, at every step of the way. And there's no reason to think that they won't, that won't continue to happen. Yeah, I, I think that for the most part, everybody was looking towards uh, Jacob Copeland or Trayvon Grimes even to become the number one receiver in 2020. I'm I'm not quite sure also if anybody really expected KT to do what he did last year. I, I do know that, you know, Kyle Pitts obviously was a guy that everybody circled and said, watch out for this guy again. Um, and he showed off, but KT came out of nowhere seemingly and, and he showed out great. I mean, he was their number one wide receiver. I think that um, if, if anything, it showed, you know, what sort of effort he was able to put in during that COVID year. You know, obviously there was no spring, there was no practicing. Um, basically, you went into fall camp with uh, fresh legs or, or rusty legs, if you really want to put it like that. And and he was able to do it from, from week one. So um, it's a credit to him. And I think that he's going to be drafted, you know, around that first or, or late first, early second round. And that's just, it's crazy to think about just a year, a year later. David, I think you're muted. Oh, yep. I muted myself there. Hey, that's the first time that's happened. All these episodes, <laughs> that's the first time that's happened. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Demetrius, you said late first round, early second. Zach, do you have him first, second round? For KT? I've got oh, him yeah. first. I, I put out a um, – I did a full two-round mock, and I, I drafted his every team, and the way the board fell, I really liked – him falling to Indianapolis in the simulation that I did first round 21st overall. I think that's ideally the range. Like it starts with Washington at 19. They're in need of receiver help uh, beyond what Terry McLaurin can do. Cause he can do just about everything. Like a KT would be a perfect compliment to a guy like him. And then you've got teams like Indianapolis, Tennessee needs another number two. Uh, definitely the guy that can do more short field stuff. Cause AJ Brown can extend the field. Um, Jacksonville, I guess, is a sleeper team at 25, yeah. uh, given the ties to Florida with Urban, especially, and just giving Trevor all the help he needs. Right there in that like 19 to 25, 27, 28 range, there are a lot of teams that need a receiver, and there's going to be a big run on receivers. And I think that he's the perfect candidate, especially with this testing. Like his testing comes in above guys like Rashad Bateman, uh, comes in a, a, above guys uh, like Terrace Marshall. Uh, his numbers were better than a lot of these mid to late first round receivers. So even though on tape teams might like those guys a bit better, they'll see the ceiling that Tony has. And in which case I just can't see him falling out of the first round. Yeah. Like I said, I feel feels like he's got room to grow. Uh, they're just only playing receivers since his time at, at, at Florida uh, there. So a lot of room to, to grow for uh, Kadarius Tony. So, all right, let's move to quarterback and Kyle Trask and, <clears throat> I think where we go there, guys, is is he a first round? Is he a second round? You know, how did he fall behind you know, some of these other quarterbacks that you, you're coming through now? And uh, you're seeing uh, Trask fall a bit. And, and so, of course, you know, compared, compared to a, a Mac Jones where everybody kind of just thought maybe going into the SEC championship where you were looking at Heisman odds. And even if you were looking at NFL mock drafts and NFL talk, it would be like these guys. Matt Jones and everything that he's he's done was able to be talked up and bought him into a maybe top five pick uh, here and Kyle Trask maybe even just falling uh, a bit more. So um, uh, I think the talk is, you know, with, with Kadarius or with Kyle Pitts, it was, okay, where's he going to go in the top 10? And for somebody like Kyle Trask, it's, will he even go first round now? So it's kind of amazing with his production. And with who, with who he had around him, the two guys we just discussed uh, here that the, uh, the the talk of Kyle Trask may be now the storyline of him just falling out of the first round. Yeah, that's the thing is like it's 
going to be a real shame when he falls out of like maybe the second. If I can't think of many teams that because there's going to be that big run on quarterbacks and mm-hmm. big run on skill players, there's going to be a lot of teams trying to fill other needs beyond quarterback in the second round. That's going to be a sweet spot for a lot of edge rushers, offensive linemen. We might start getting, finally seeing some running backs, uh, more defensive linemen go off the board to the point where I don't know how many teams are going to be looking for a quarterback at that point, right? And you, I say it would be a shame for Kyle to fall out of the second and honestly falling out of the first because you are going, you, you can't not specifically compare it to the rise that Mac Jones has made. You know, two guys similar in terms of less than two years of starting experience. I think, you know, Trask edges Jones out a little bit there, but generally speaking, it's close to the same. Uh, Similar skill sets where they're not the most athletic guys. They don't have the biggest arms, but they're considered, you know, smart. They've got it between the ears. Mac Jones with the best offense or best team maybe in college football history, uh, like helping him, propping him up the board, like, Kyle Trask is down here. Like it just doesn't make much sense to me. What what is this drastic difference when Jones and Trask have very similar strengths and Jones had a way better football team around him, even though Trask had talent. Like don't obviously we just talked about two first round skill players, but like Jones had an elite team in every facet, in every which way or form. Like what is this drastic difference then between him and Kyle Trask that makes Jones a potential top five pick and that makes Trask a second to third round pick? I, it doesn't make much sense to me, but it seems like the mistake that teams are going to make. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Going, going Zach's part there. I mean, look, Mac had one of the great offensive lines in college football, yeah. something Trask didn't have. No, we could talk about the weapons. Yeah, both guys had weapons, but the difference is the great offensive line he had and then a running game that he had to go along to help take some pressure off of him. And exactly. Defense. Although exactly. Alabama's defense wasn't great, like that's just even more stress taken off yeah. the back. The thing is, it's, it, it, it makes sense, and, and I do agree with you guys. You know, Obviously, Mac Jones had plenty of talent surrounding him. If, if anything, if he would have failed, it would have been probably more glaring than you know for him to succeed as being you know so so good I guess you could say you know it it, it it's one of those things where Mac Jones came in and he performed and to the best of his ability and the ability that everybody would expect when you have all those players around him um but at the same time when you do look at Kyle Trask and, and I I do agree that that it's a shame that they're not being compared closely you know obviously Mac Jones is a potential top three pick which nobody <laughs> would have seen and then Kyle Trask is a potential you know third round pick but you know I could sort of see him going in the second round but uh Either way, it, 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 it does make sense in terms of his placement. I think Kyle Trask's placement because of uh, where where he is in terms of his ceiling within an NFL offense. I do think that he has plenty of limitations, especially his pocket movement or um, his mobility in order to escape the pocket. I think that that's coveted in the NFL. But at the same time, Mac Jones does have some of those limitations too. So I think that it's more of Mac Jones is graded too highly than sort of Kyle Trask is graded too low. But I do think that those sort of gaps should be closing a little bit more. I, I think Kyle Trask is a, a, a fine quarterback. I think that he will make a good, you know, maybe starter down the line. I think that initially he's going to enter as a backup quarterback, which is fine. Um, and I think that at, at the end of the day, uh, Mac Jones is going to be the guy that if he's put into a perfect offense as he was with Alabama, then he could thrive just the same as maybe Kyle Trask could. Guys, every question I have for him as a passer, he answered in 2020, it was, could his ball placement get better? And it mm-hmm. did. Can he throw the ball down the field with a little bit better accuracy, better touch? And he did that too. So um, where does he, what, what does he bring to an NFL team in, in your guys' eyes? Cause look, he, he's not the athletic quarterback of a, uh, of a Joe Burrow from last year, a Trevor Lawrence, and a Justin Fields of a, from, from this year. Look, we we know Demetrius just said he's not the athletic type, but you know maybe he gets into a system to where you know they they, they can build around him because he he probably is going to need a little more help than some of those other quarterbacks that you have really really high up in, in your quarterback rankings. But you know you, you give him time to throw. I think he can be a pretty productive NFL quarterback. And that's just the thing is, yes, he's not the most athletic quarterback, but you were mentioning things that he got better at from year one to year two, right? One of those things was moving in the pocket, being more nimble, finding little ways 
just the little things to avoid pressure and make a throw with pressure in your face compared to taking a sack, which he took way more of in 2019 compared to 2020. This suggests that he is also still getting better, like Kadarius Toney, but in his very obviously unique own way where Kyle was a backup for nearly seven years and is now really only had one full season as a starter. So, yes, he still can get better. I don't think physically it's going to happen much. He's 23 years old. Like he's not magically just going to shave 0.2 or 0.3 seconds off his 40. And he's not magically going to put, you know, another 10 yards on his deep ball or another, you know, five to 10 miles per hour in velocity on his deep ball. You know, you know what I mean? He's not going to necessarily become more dynamic, but there are things that he can still continue to improve and has shown the capability from one year to the next that he's able to. And that's important. That's what teams are looking for in quarterbacks. And maybe that's why he's being slept on is because he's the older guy of the bunch. He didn't show that in seven years as a backup that is just kind of going over people's heads. Like people are thinking Trevor Lawrence has so much potential as good as he is that he could still get better. Justin Fields can still get better as this ridiculous athlete with a cannon of an arm. Kyle Trask may not get as like may not still get better in ways that like everyone sees very easily to the naked eye, but he can still get better and offer a team, you know, at bare minimum, someone that's going to come in and have an understanding of how to operate their offense efficiently. And if that gets him a role as a backup for five years, he spot starts, he eventually takes over as a starter, maybe one place. I still consider that to be a pretty successful career and I think that it's a role he could thrive in, and it, he's the type of dude that makes the most of it too. Absolutely, I, I think that the the biggest thing to take away is I, I feel as though everybody sort of criticizes the term game manager, and I and I understand why that term can come off as negative, but I really think that that's what Kyle Trask is. He's a very good game managing quarterback, and that he's not necessarily going to make you lose. But I also, on the flip side of that, don't really see all of the traits to make him transcend an offense. When you have players that aren't available, I mean, take a look at the, the Oklahoma game. Obviously, there are plenty of players out, brand new kind of offense sort of that they were running during that game. I know it's not fair to criticize him based on that, but you can see the limitations that he could have if he doesn't have things going right, if the offense isn't gelling as it should be, you know, as it typically would in a Dan Mullet offense, the same thing can be, can happen all the time in the NFL. A player can go down. You have to make adjustments on the fly. Kyle Trask comes in there and he might not be able to operate that offense as efficiently, but I do think that he's going to be able to come in with things going well, and he's going to be able to operate an offense to the best of his ability. And I think that that's sort of the traits that NFL coaches are looking for a guy that can come in, just in case, you know, the, the starting quarterback goes down and then he can come in and, and maybe earn some spot starts down the line. And, and like Zach said, maybe several years down the line, he can develop into a starting quarterback. All right. There we go for uh, Kyle Track because we have a bit more of the of these prospects to, to, to go through here. But uh, that's it for basically the three main headlines there, Pitts, Tony, uh, Trask, all guys with potential going into the first round. We expect two of them uh, at, to absolutely go into the first round. Uh, Tony may be on the edge there of a uh, first round, second round, and then we'll see where Kyle Trask ends up, hopefully with his name called Thursday night. But if not, maybe on uh, uh, Friday uh, night. So here we go uh, moving forward. And another player with a maybe meteoric rise, but maybe at not the level of Kadarius Tony is offensive tackle Stone Forsyth. And – we just talked about Kyle Trask and how 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 much he had to move around. And you saw on that right side, at, at least the pressure came from his right side to where he could see it because the, we, we know how ugly it got there at times. And, look, the reason that the offense was still uh, at elite levels at times was because Kyle Trask did not have to worry about his blind side. That was taken taken care of by one, one stone four size here. And, look, guys, I mean, looking at – you know. Looking at you know just a Florida team and the Florida offense in general, we 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 had every right to bash the offensive line and the the production of the offensive line. But heading into twenty twenty, you know, I, not sure. We, I think we all thought that the Florida run game might get a bit better than it did in uh, from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. It didn't. It leads to Florida throwing the ball almost every down, and even with that. You know, limited limiting and sacks by by, by Stone Forsyth here, and 
a lot of teams took notice. I mean, he was at Pro Day, and I know a lot of teams that were, uh, raved uh, about what he showed at Pro Day, what he showed on uh, on film. And I mean, I, I, a lot of a lot of talk of here of you know Stone Forsyth shooting up draft boards now and being a a, a legit threat at, at left tackle for some teams. Yeah, I I personally love Stone Forsyth. I I think that what he showed last year, especially when you look at that 2019 tape, it was sort of night and day in terms of what he can bring to the table. Uh, obviously, being the blindside blocker for a Florida offense that, especially last year's offense, you know they they pass nearly every play. It seemed like you know being that guy who had to basically be on an island for the majority of the season and for him to perform at the level that he did I think that is just it just shows how much he worked how hard he worked uh obviously his size at one point he was listed at six foot nine which made me and Zach uh, scratch our heads but he, <laughs> he later clarified that he was indeed six foot eight he didn't grow uh three inches randomly in in the offseason but he still grew a little bit which is crazy to think about um and I think that he is a prototypical left tackle pass blocking guy and he even admits it you know he needs to get a little better at run blocking that's something that he's going to be working hard on as he gets into the NFL Um, I'm sure that teams are going to be considering that when they're selecting him but you're right David he did go on a meteoric rise it seems as though uh, because after the season immediately I would have said maybe in the fifth round maybe somewhere around that that range but now we're starting to see that he could go in that second round or that third round and I think that that's just a credit to what he's shown on tape and probably his interviews and just everything that has this draft process making players move up and down the draft boards. And Zach, yeah, he, I, um, he's, Zach, he's coming along at the perfect time. I mean, these are NFL teams that are going to be throwing the ball just as much as Florida did. You know, they're going to be throwing the ball 40 times a game. They're going to be asking their left tackle to do this. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I mentioned my mock draft earlier that I did the full two round. Uh, I'm taking those picks as they are Gators as well as Buccaneers because I also cover the Buccaneers uh, as they are related to those teams and doing team-specific seven-round mocks. So I'm, I'm going to drop a little bit of a sneak peek into my Gators one, which is dropping on uh, on Tuesday. I have Forsyth going to pick ahead of Trask. I've got him as the third Gator off the board because of his rise. I've got him going to the Ravens in the third round. And exactly. before, but, but before you go, the, go, go further – the prospect grade from NFL.com for Stone Forsyth, 6.27 for Kyle Trask, 6.19. So even as an overall mm-hmm. prospect, NFL.com has Stone Forsyth higher than Kyle Trask. And I believe on Zerline's grading scale, 6.27 is like uh, they project that guy will become a starter at some point. It if is, I remember correctly. Is, yep, good backup who could become starter. Yeah, that, that's the hype's there for Stone. It's really building up. I mean – like you guys were saying, he is he is exactly what the modern NFL offensive tackle is turning into, right? As the league is becoming more pass-heavy, they're looking for guys with length that can combat long pass rushers. They're looking for guys with athleticism that can combat speed rushers. A lot of the times you'll find rushers, these 6'5", 260-pound guys with absurd 40s and three cones rushing the edge that are just these freak athletes you need someone big and fast, maybe not as much of a mauling run blocker with elite lower body strength, but you got to get someone that can mirror that footwork, get a good jab in, and throw them off of their speed rush. That's all Stone Forsyth did over the past year and a half. It, it took him some time to get comfortable. When he took over that starting role from Martez Ivy, as it would have taken anyone on what was, generally speaking, a lackluster offensive line. And, you know, and a big shift in offensive philosophy. Exactly. You gave him, I think it was like six games. And then from there on out, I don't think he allowed a sack for the remain, maybe one sack for the remainder of the 2019 season. Then he comes in and he allows two all of 2020 against Alabama and against Georgia, allowing zero in in arguably their two biggest tests defensively uh, in terms of a defense facing Florida's offense all season. Stone allows zero sacks and three pressures in those games. So he not only came to play, but he came to play against top competition and shut him down. Like when, this type of build, this type of profile, this type of tape against top competition, Stone's a sleeper. He's a guy that, you know, people weren't talking about him a year ago because everyone was talking about Penny Sewell, um, Christian Derrissaw, and Samuel Cosme definitely had some hype from Texas. And he wasn't a guy that was getting as much hype, but this is – truly the project modern offensive tackle 
that teams are starting to look for. And he's, I like that exact description from NFL.com. Good backup that should become a starter. I think he's immediately a team swing tackle. A year or two from now, he should be starting. Absolutely. I think that the guy is, is sort of rising at the right time. I think that you have these NFL offensive tackles that are sort of dropping out. You know, uh, there's players that are retiring. I mean, obviously, Marcus Gilbert is the most recent one who retired today, a former Gator. Uh, there's just plenty of room for him to be selected somewhere. Some team's going to have to find a guy, at least as a de- developmental guy. I even have him as somebody as the, the Jaguars could take. You know, later, later mm. on in the draft, they have a definite need for a swing tackle type of guy. And I think Stone has proven, you know, he's able to go on the right side whenever they did that last year. So I think that if if, if a team wanted to get a swing tackle who could maybe develop into a starting left tackle, um, Stone Forsyth is definitely your guy. Yeah, good point there, showing that versatility uh, last year at Florida and then hopefully translating that to the NFL to uh, to be on a roster for, for, for some years to come here. Uh, let's move forward a little bit and – Probably one of the definitely the biggest besides you know, the stars, the biggest storyline coming out of Florida Pro Day is Marco Wilson's testing <laughs> uh, and comparing that with Marco Wilson's 2020 season. So, of course, that uh, raises a lot of questions is how much does Marco Wilson's Pro Day help him in getting drafted for the NFL? Look, I, I know. I know he ticked off a lot of Gator fans with his play. I mean, it, it's just the nature of the beast. It was bad. He's going to get drafted. Marco Wilson's going to get drafted. Some team is going to draft Marco Wilson. So go ahead and prepare for it. Whether you agree with it or not, it's going to happen. Guys, how much should teams value what we saw on Pro Day versus what we saw the 2020 season? Well, you know, you know, the most important thing is trusting the tape, right? I think it always does come back to it. But you can't help but be intrigued by this. And you see why teams – do fall for the athlete over the tape sometimes when they have concerns about guys with their tape uh, or with their athleticism, I guess I should say. Marco Wilson, beyond his 20-yard shuttle, tested in the top 20% of all cornerbacks ever, recorded combines or pro days in every athletic test that he did. The vertical and broad jump, he finished in the top 2% of corners of all time. The vertical jump, I believe, was the the biggest of all time among quarters. Um, I'm just looking yeah, at the percentile right, the way yeah. they listen. It's the 40-yard dash was in the 92nd. Like, he is an elite caliber athlete. And those guys, as bad as they might be on tape, chances are teams are going to take a chance on them. And Marco stepping up as the fourth corner, fourth corner in UF history to start day one as a freshman. That might be enough pedigree. <laughs> a brother that played in the NFL – plus his athleticism, that might be enough for a team to say, you know what, you know, I see that 2020 tape. I don't even want to think about it. I want to get him with my cornerbacks coach. I want to give him a year, maybe on our practice squad, or, or maybe just inactive on game days, but he's learning our system, molding that type of athlete into a corner that works for their team and, and refreshing his mindset. Teams are going to take a chance on that. A lot of teams are going to take a chance on that type of play. Demetrius, before you you jump in there, and Zach brought it up, he started in 2017, played really well as a freshman, got hurt Mm -hmm. in 2018, came back from a knee injury, filled in at nickel when Florida needed him to, and played pretty well. So that's why we thought there was so much promise in 2020 was because, look, he, he filled in at nickel in 2019, played pretty well there at that position. He's now is going to have an offseason to prepare for that position. And for whatever reason, it just, it did not translate in 2020. I think that there's plenty of reasons why it didn't translate last year. I think that obviously, first of all, his his own play, you know, maybe he was a little hard on himself at times. Uh, but you got to look at the things that were surrounding him. You know, the safety position was a definite weakness. The rest of the cornerback group besides Kyrie Elam was a weakness. Uh, it, it was a lot of shifting. There was a lot of new COVID. There was just so much being stacked up against him. And I know that that's not necessarily an excuse for poor play all the time, but at the end of the day, you could see you could see those traits, like you were saying, David, in his freshman season 
And then obviously in his red shirt, sophomore or junior season, whichever way you want to say it, um, those those years where he did show those traits, show those uh, abilities that he has. And then when you can you try you look at that in terms of his pro day numbers, you can sort of see the athlete, just the pure athlete that he has shown. And I have to say, a lot of these NFL coaches are very um, arrogant, I guess you could say, or yeah. prideful in that. They will see a guy that has maybe, you know, the the stats that he showed at his pro day and they're like, you know, oh, I, I can make this guy a star. You know, that that's the type of mindset that a lot of these coaches have. And I think that that's what Florida Gators fans have to realize, you know, when they see him go ultimately in probably the third or fourth round. I think, um, you know, when you when you see him go that high and they're shaking their heads, you have to look at it from the coach's perspective of. This guy has shown the traits. This guy has shown the ability athletically. I think that I can mold him into the player that I want him to be in our system. And I think that that's ultimately what's going to determine where he goes in the draft. I'm I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of teams who will, you know, shake their head at him and say, you know, that shoe game and whatever. I I don't think that they're necessarily going to going to hold that against him the whole time. I don't think that anybody should. Um, but it, it, it's one of those things where there are some teams that are going to say no, but there's definitely going to be some teams that are going to say yes. All right, guys, let's move on and try and get at least a couple more in here as we wrap up this episode. And I put up on Twitter today for Gators Breakdown uh, listeners and, and followers here on Twitter, biggest sleeper for the Gators in the 2021 NFL draft. I put Stone Forsyth, Travon Grimes, Marco Wilson, and other as options. Travon Grimes with 55% of the vote out of uh, about 1,100 votes there as the biggest sleeper for the Gators in the NFL draft for this coming up year. Do you guys agree with that? Uh, and maybe maybe I shouldn't have put Stone Forsyth in there, but I think just because of the offensive line and kind of that position being overlooked and, you know, just we'll we'll see where he ends up going uh, there. But he is getting some, some recent love there. But Trevon Grimes, wide receiver, uh, of course. And I think, look, guys, the reputation for Florida receivers and what we saw in last year's NFL draft, the meteoric rise of Kadarius Toney, I really think the reputation of Billy Gonzalez coach wide receivers is really going to hit home. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's a former five-star recruit. Teams are going to love the athletic ability of Trevon Grimes. And I think, you know, we could probably agree with a lot of fans here that he might just be the sleeper of the draft. For the game. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, when I was over at Stadium and Gale, uh, Dan was asking me a lot of really great questions. And I just got to give him that little plug. <laughs> he was asking me – he's definitely going to be thankful for that plug. He was asking me a bunch of different ways about, like, guys that were underrated in this class, right? And as I was telling them, it's so hard for me to pick one, right? When there's yeah. 16 guys from the roster, like there's going to be a lot of different guys that could go on day three, maybe go undrafted or someone, you know, that surprises us and ends up draft when we thought they'd go undrafted. There's a lot of different opportunities for guys here based on the way that they fit with teams. Trayvon Grimes is one of them. Um, I've, I've seen it in writing and I've had it described to me as people think that his best is ahead of him. He did not test as well during his pro day as I personally thought he would. But in an average year where pro day 40s aren't hitting a lot of 4.2s and low 4.3s, <laughs> questionable. <laughs> Grimes is 4.5 at 6'4", 220 pounds would be a topic of discussion. People would be saying that's good. Like that, generally speaking, you don't see – big-bodied receivers move as fast as he did. And the rest of his tests were just below average to average. Uh, Some of them were above. But again, like that doesn't factor in the fact that he's 6'4", 220. So when you weigh that, suddenly like all of his results were pretty good. He might fall down the board because of his lack of production as a former five-star, and that's fine. But there's going to be a vertically-based offense that has a role for him whether he's burning down the field as we've seen him do before, he's got this absurd field speed, uh, whether he's making acrobatic catches, like there is a role in a vertically based offense for him where he can, like I said, do, have better days, at least in terms of production than what he's had to this point in his career. Yeah, I, I think that Trayvon Grimes is a guy who where, you know, how you were saying to check the tape on, on Marco Wilson compared to his pro day. I think that the same thing can be said for the opposite reason for Trayvon Grimes um, you know, last year he had 589 yards and nine touchdowns, 38 receptions in that 
potent Gators offense that featured, you know, two guys that we already talked about going in the first round. It sort of reminds me of the year prior when you had all these guys like Jacob Copeland, uh, Freddie Swain, you had uh, just Tyree Cleveland, all these guys that were producing and their numbers didn't necessarily stack up against the top dog wide receivers, but you could definitely see the traits there for those guys to be drafted. And then ultimately they were. Um, So Trayvon Grimes has the, the production, but he also has the athleticism in terms of his height, weight, all of that sort of stuff, the, the speed factor, he can make jump balls in the, in the red zone. He's, he's a perfect uh, quarterback friendly weapon to where you want to just have him on the outside jumping over people. I think that he's going to be in that role in the NFL. And I think that he's definitely one of the biggest sleepers in this draft class, um, especially with a stacked and loaded uh, wide receiver group this year. All right, guys, let's move on to one more secondary player. Sean Davis, interesting prospect here for the Gators. Uh, hard hitter. Uh, doesn't mind getting, doesn't mind putting his uh, head in there on tackles. Doesn't mind uh, the physicality uh, of safety play. I think coaches will like that. Uh, I think it's kind of hard to judge Florida secondary players and what we saw in 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why was there the fall of, you know, uh, Marco Wilson, um, a, a steady decline from uh, of Donovan Steiner from 2018 to 2020, mm-hmm. and then Sean Davis, who showed promise in 2019, and another player who didn't live up to what we thought that they could be in 2020. So I do wonder if coaches look at what happened in the Florida secondary as a whole when they are looking at these particular players in, in the secondary because Sean Davis probably mm-hmm. out of all those guys in the secondary showed so much potential and kind of just maybe filtered out. I, mean, I don't think he had such a terrible season. He didn't mm. he didn't have a a really bad fall, but I think when you when you look at it, he didn't live up to the expectation in 2020 that we thought we that we thought we'd get from him as well. Yeah, yeah. It definitely hurt like you said with just the secondary around him. Definitely was not that good. But um you look at his 2019 season like you said, I think he led the team in interceptions and if not he was second. Uh, I remember, according to Pro Football Focus, in terms of guys that played a meaningful role, at least like not guys that came in at the end of a couple games, uh, but meaningful roles in the secondary, he allowed far and away the lowest passer rating of any defensive back. I'm talking over C.J. Henderson, Marco, um, Kair when he stepped in and played. Like he, Sean Davis had the best production of the bunch in terms of QB rating allowed at that point. QB rating, you know, being for whatever it's worth, but that's a meaningful stat, especially when you are a safety. Uh, And he's a bit undersized. Maybe teens will be a little scared off of that, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like he's really long for a guy that's only five ten and a half. Uh, He's got like an 87th percentile wingspan. And before he got hurt pulling his hammy in that 40, like he was testing really well. His broad jump and his vertical jump were both really impressive uh, the length again being there, like he looks like as long as that testing came out well in his runs, and I think we saw it on tape in Florida that he is a pretty fast player, that he can be that rangy type of ball hawking safety at the next level with some more development, getting past whatever the communication errors really were that mm-hmm. maybe do mess with his psyche a little bit from the past two years in Florida. I don't know. I mean, it, it, we saw communication errors plenty throughout the defense. It's hard to imagine that he'd suddenly be able to just wipe that stuff. I think he's going to need a little bit more mental grooming at the next level because of that. But he's another one of those guys. There's so many guys in this class for Florida that they just have these traits. Maybe they didn't live up to it 100%. Maybe they really exploded in their final year and showed us what they like were capable of with these traits. But the majority of this class has something about them, Sean Davis included, that it's like, okay, you see why they're being taken seriously. You see why this guy might get drafted. Well, you, when you talk about rise in terms of the secondary players for Florida or really any SEC team last year, I'm not sure I could tell you, you know, five players who really took that big leap. I, I'm not sure what happened with the SEC last year, but, you know, Zach can, can vouch for me every week when we were doing our podcast. I was just saying, what is going on? Why are all these secondaries so awful? All these defenses so bad? I think that there was a big issue across the board in terms of uh, play defensively. Maybe it was due to COVID. Maybe it was due to other factors, but the play just wasn't there. And I think that Sean Davis was a perfect example. 
Um, obviously he had his flashing moments, but there were times where he just didn't show up enough. And uh, there, there were also times where you're looking at him as one of the weaknesses of the secondary. But I think that you could say that for almost every player on that secondary besides Kyrie Elam last year. Um, it's interesting. You know, you, you go back and you look at that Auburn game from 2019, that one-handed mm-hmm. interception that he had. I mean, that was, you know, people were looking at that like, okay, this is something that he can provide. You know, he has that range. He has those ball skills. He's going to be one of those players in 2020 that's going to make that big leap and be amazing, basically. Uh, but it, that didn't turn out that to, to be that way. But I think that you could see the traits were there. And, and like Zach said, besides, you know, him getting hurt, Unfortunately, during that 40-yard dash, you could see that he was about to have a pretty solid pro day. Um, And I think that that would have ultimately had him rise up the boards a little bit for those scouts who were having question marks about his athleticism. He did compete in the Senior Bowl, which I think will get him uh, pretty good uh, grades beyond, you know, those fringe guys. I think that it will ultimately get him drafted. And I think that any team that takes him, they're going to be getting at least a solid player who's who works hard, who's gonna he's not afraid to get his uh, nose in there. He, he's going to make sure to get all those big hits that we've seen with the Florida Gators over the recent seasons. And uh, I don't necessarily think that he's going to come in and be a starter, but he can definitely come in and play special teams, get in there as like maybe the third or fourth safety on a team and figure it out from there. That's something that I really want to quickly hit on. Demetrius, you mentioned the senior bowl, like, this year more than others, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume that they had some sort of like not medical testing, but they could do some sort of evaluations with these players at the senior bowl because coaches were able to interact with players there. Mm-hmm. Unlike really anything else that we've had during this off season, we missed the combine where players had that time where they could meet with coaches. It was so integral, so crucial to the draft process the senior bowl was the closest thing to that this year with the COVID like mm. start to finish COVID off season last year being like the halfway through one, the senior bowl where a guy like Sean Davis, where a guy like Trayvon Grimes, uh, these underrated guys in UF's class, um, Kyle Trask didn't make it there, but he was supposed to be there. But guys like that, this is, that's such a huge event for them this year in terms of getting NFL teams, the information that they need. We saw it last year, even though they did have the combine and stuff like Florida having three receivers drafted Tyree Cleveland snuck in on the last day. And I'm sure being at the senior bowl, proving himself as a special team or in every different situation that they had for special teams there. That's probably why he got drafted. That that could be a huge bonus for guys like Grimes, uh, like Davis this year. Guys, one more uh, before I let you go last uh, position grouping here. Look, We've heard for all throughout this NFL draft, not a very deep defensive tackle draft. Uh, when you look at it, the Gators have two guys that will be looked at: Daryl Slayton, Kyrie Campbell. Slayton thought of much higher than Campbell when you start looking at uh, NFL draft prospects. Think about Slayton. You got to remember, much like Kadarius Tony playing quarterback in high school and playing the wide receiver, Slayton was an offensive lineman in high school and didn't didn't, didn't transition till to defensive line until he got to Florida. So still plenty of experience to garner there uh, for, for Slayton. Uh, but uh, where you see those guys, if at all, fitting in for NFL teams, and uh, we'll wrap it up after that. I think that Slayton's going to be an interesting guy for a team to draft. Obviously, he's a huge body. I think he was around 350 pounds at one point during last year. Um, he's going to be a guy that's going to basically play your nose tackle. I think that he can take on blocks pretty well. Um, I don't necessarily see him as a high profile player, obviously, but a late round, you know, flyer, I could see a team definitely taking a shot at him. Kyrie Campbell, I'll be honest. Um, he really disappointed me in that pro day. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the stats, but they just were not up to par, not anything that I would have ever expected from a guy who was only 284 pounds, I think that that would that alone for me as a scout in the NFL, I would have to take him off my board. I mean, it's just it, it, it was that bad. And, and I'm not trying to, to, to disparage him at all. I'm just saying that it, it's it's one of those things where you look at that and you look at his production and, and look at the, the body of work. And I just don't think it matched up. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where he lands if he does get drafted. But um, for now, I think that that would be, you know, a late round undrafted kind of player. And that's the curious case about Kyrie Campbell, right? Is like. He had, again, I'm not trying to disparage him either. He had really miserable pro day testing. Uh, the pro, the production at Florida wasn't really there, but Todd Grantham was his biggest fan last year. Yeah. 
and Florida's defense, I would never really argue, got good last year. Mm-hmm. But I would go to bat and say that it got better every week that Kyrie Campbell was on the defensive line. Absolutely. Uh, it, it seemed like it got better and there was some more structure. So it, it, was it truly that Kyrie is just like a genius? Like he is <laughs> a guy you need on your defensive line because he understands all the techniques and the knowledge and he knows where guys need to be. Maybe that's truly what it is. And that's really invaluable that you can put the athleticism aside. There, maybe whether it's in the NFL, but certainly on Florida's defensive line, like there is an incredible need for a guy like Kyrie Campbell. But it, it, at the NFL, it, at least in terms of developing into a role, it's hard for me to project that with his results and with his production. Uh, TJ Slayton, you mentioned it, Demetrius. He got up to like 350 at one point. Uh, David mentioning that he's a former offensive lineman, and now he's a 6'4", 330-pound defensive lineman with absurd explosion. His 10-yard mm-hmm. split was crazy. His broad jump was also really, really impressive. Those are the type of drills that you want to see a defensive lineman really stand out in. Um, and he did, especially for a guy that's as big as he is. When you start to account for weight and you weigh that in as a 92nd percentile guy in terms of weight, 73rd in height, he's a really, really impressive mover for a dude as big as he is. I don't know if you can necessarily give him a huge role in the NFL because of his size, and I don't think you want to make him lose a ton of weight because he can be a space eater. He can take up double teams. He can really surprisingly create pressure for a player of his stature that, you know, I think an NFL team, if they take him on day three, they can carve out a consistent 15, 20, 25 snaps a game type of role for him. And he'll consistently be one of the most important players on that defensive line in that role, consistently getting his job done. I think that, it's going to take the right team. It's going to take the right defensive line coach to understand what they've got in him and defensive coordinator. But if he finds that pairing, like these teams that are rotating defensive linemen so much more these days and not just relying on four or five guys, TJ Slayton can fit into a defense like that and create some pressure. All right. Awesome stuff, guys. Awesome stuff there. Looking at the uh, a lot of these Gators here getting ready for the NFL draft. There's a few others we could hit on as well, but uh, – um, we got uh, we got time limits here, so <laughs> as I said, and we got the uh, the all access uh, coming up here too for the for, for the Gators. I know all we'll all catch an eye on that as well. So guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me this week, uh, Zach Demetrius. What you guys got coming up uh, for all your all your um, people who want read the uh, read all your articles and and all the every, every everywhere else you'll be this week because I know it's a busy <laughs> week for you guys uh, cross, crossing paths with the NFL and college football talk. So what you guys got going on this week? We've got a lot at all Gators. I'm telling you, we'll have we'll have stuff for every pick. Immediate recap. We're gonna do stuff on like these guys fits with their pro team. It should be a really fun time. So obviously, all Gator fans listening to this, you're gonna want to check that out. If you're a Buccaneers fan, I'll have Buccaneers content as well. If you're a Jaguars fan, I I know Demetrius will have a lot of content because he's got five picks to talk about in the first two days of the draft alone. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Just just all of what Zach said, obviously, on allgators.com, we have plenty to talk about, plenty on every single draft prospect. If you're not even a Gators fan, you're going to want to go there if your team does pick uh, a, a Florida Gator. And then, obviously, me at bigcatcountry.com, I have a bunch of Jaguars content coming out. I'm going to have a mock draft coming out. I'll be there uh, for the draft on Thursday, probably Friday and Saturday, too, um, because they're finally allowing media back in. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to do that, but – yeah, we just have a bunch of draft stuff, and I hope you guys enjoy the draft on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All right, everybody, go give those guys a follow. Go read their content at SI All Gators. Really, really good stuff there, especially getting ready for the 2021 NFL draft. Demetrius, Zach, thank you guys so much. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.